Early in the service, we, Daniel read for us Acts chapter 9. We've been in our series. Woo! Y'all, this is my handy dandy. It's my girl right here, y'all. Lord knows. Thank you. We've been in this study of the book of Acts that we've called Multiply. And last week and the week before, we took a look at the ministry of Philip, who was a deacon of the church, and we looked at how God used him in a miraculous way. I'm going to share with you two names, and as you can tell, here at the Bridge Church, we like for there to be participation between the pulpit or the stage and you all. And so as I give you these names, I want you to shake an affirmation if you recognize these names and know who they are. Or if you don't, just give me a note with your head. Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi. Does that ring a bell? Abu Bakar al-Baghdadi. Second name, Abu Bukhar Shakal. Abu Bukhar Shakal. Do you recognize either of these names? Abu Bakar al Baghdadi, not Big Daddy, Baghdadi. He is the current leader of ISIS. The same ISIS that is beheading Christians. The second name, Abu Bakar Shakal, is the leader of Boko Haram, or Haram, which is a militant religious Islamic group whose goal it is to build an Islamic state in Nigeria. And one of their goals, actually I believe Boko Haram means Western education is forbidden. They hate Western people Western ideology, and as a result of their religious uh, zealousy from, to Islam, they persecute Christians. They behead Christians. They kill Christians. The question that I want to pose to you all this morning is, can your gospel transform Abu Bakr Shakal? Can your gospel transform a terrorist? Is 
a terrorist beyond the love of God. For, for your gospel, are terrorists outside the bounds of what you consider savable? Well, if you are wrestling with that this morning, I want to tell you that God can save a terrorist. You don't believe me? Turn to Acts chapter 9. In Acts chapter 9, we meet a fellow by the name of Saul. He was from a land called Tarsus. And we first met Saul back in chapter 7 in the beginning of chapter 8. And here's the history that we have on Saul. Saul persecuted the church. Saul, you remember in Acts chapter 7, we met this fellow by the name of Stephen. And God was using Stephen to do miracles. And he was proclaiming the gospel. But the Jews... Who, who, did not, who did not accept Jesus Christ as the Messiah, thought he was blaspheming, and therefore they stoned Stephen to death. And the Bible says that while they were stoning him, they took their robes off and laid them at the feet of a man by the name Saul. Saul, he was creating havoc. From the church. And the text says he went from house to house, terrorizing Christians. And so we see here in Acts chapter 9, in the first section of Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, we are met with a divine confrontation. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, we, we, we are met with a divine confrontation. Look with me, first of all, at his pre-conversion story. The, the text opens up by telling us in Acts chapter 9 uh, of Saul's activity and his preoccupation prior to his encounter with Christ. Verse 1 through 2 says that he was uttering murderous threats against the disciples of the Lord. Matter of fact, he wasn't satisfied with just terrorizing the saints in Jerusalem, which was somewhat of our home base. But he says, now that they've dispersed, I still want to go get them. And so he went to the high priest and he received some extradition orders. He, he got a letter from, from the high priest so that he could go to Damascus, take it to the synagogue leader and say, if there are any Christians. Any followers of the way, the way was how the Christians were first identified. They're not called Christians to way later in around Acts chapter 15 in Antioch. And so he, they're called uh, followers of the way. You know, Jesus is the way. And, and, and so he received these extradition orders. And so he left Jerusalem, went down to Damascus. To terrorize Christians. His goal was to find these Christians, bind them, imprison them, and possibly put them to death. He wanted every Christian 
His goal was to terrorize as many followers of Christ as possible. He, it was Saul who led persecution. He, he was the one who led the stoning of Stephen. His goal, friends, was to stamp out Christianity. Saul was hostile to this new movement. He, he, Saul wanted to see this new movement destroyed by any means necessary. And this was, just so you know, this was because of his commitment to his own religion. Judaism. Later on, Paul, he's going to give us a biography of himself. And he's going, he says, I was a Pharisee. Matter of fact, not just any kind of Pharisee, but I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, I, he says, I cut the cake when it came to be a Pharisee, which means that he was a religious zealot. He, 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 he was impassioned about maintaining the purity of the law and following the law of Moses. Friends, Saul was a religious extremist. Therefore, he actually thought he was doing the right thing because of his religion. Friends, Saul wanted to see Christianity wiped off the face of the planet. Friends, if, if I haven't made it clear by now, let me make it very clear. He was a first century terrorist. What this shows us is that this man, before he had a divine confrontation, he was an enemy of Christ. And here's the truth for all of us today. Before a person accepts Christ, in his or her own heart, he or she is no different than Saul. Y'all just got mad at me. Let me say that again. Without Christ, in God's eyes, we are no different than Saul. The problem with many of us is that we think we are better than Saul because we're not terrorists. Friends, without Christ, we share the same eternal destiny as Saul. And that's eternal separation from God in hell. You mad right now because I said you ain't you just like Saul. By nature, you are an enemy of God. Oh, wait, 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 wait. I haven't declared war on God. I told you it's by nature. You were born in sin. You, you were shaping in iniquity. No man seeks after God. Without Christ, we are all enemies of God. So this man has a divine confrontation. The, the, this terrorist has a divine confrontation with Jesus Christ. Saul, the text says, he's on his way to Damascus to terrorize these Christians. And the text says that while he's on his way there, a bright light shines. And this bright light causes him to fall to the ground. And he hears a voice from the light. And here's what the voice says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, wait a minute. 
I can't see you, but I can hear you. Who are you? And the voice says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Your biblical investigative eyebrows should have went up. Problem. Look at the coast texting. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? Look at the pronoun. Me. Wait, where are we at in the biblical story, church? Jesus, he, he, he's come to earth. He's died. He's been buried. He's risen. He spent about 40 days with his apostles. And now he's ascended back to the Father. Jesus is now in heaven. If I'm Saul, I am completely confused right now. Because Jesus, how is it that you in heaven can claim that I'm persecuting you on earth? Here's what the text is teaching us. Is that there is a close-knit relationship between Christ and his church. To persecute his church is to persecute him. Church. To reject the church is just like rejecting Christ. This is why later Paul teaches us, he uses this metaphor. He, he says the church is the body of Christ. And Christ himself is the head of the church. And what you do to the body affects the head. I, if I hit my knee against this podium right now, a signal is going to go from this part of my body up to my brain. My brain is going to say, ouch. Okay, it may not work like that, but close enough. <laughs> what you do to the body affects the head. Friends, that's why you ought to be careful how you treat one another in church. That's why we ought to have a high view of the church. We ought not have this idea of we can take it or leave it. Because what you do to church, Christ feels it too. That's why it's important for us to carry out the one another's of scripture. Love one another. Pray for one another. By the way, it's in the Bible. Greet one another. And in the Brandon Reddick translation, it says, unless you're on stage. Coming to a pew near you real soon. Saul, friends, as we move on with the story, Saul is about to experience a radical transformation. And here's what I want you to know. Transformation begins with a personal encounter with Christ. Now, it probably won't look like what Saul went through. And by the way, if I go back between Saul and Paul, it's just... Bear with me. We're talking about the same person. All right. Later on, his name is changed to Paul. It's a Roman name. All right. And that's how we refer to him most of the time. But now he's Saul. Saul had a very, what I would consider, exceptional experience. This bright light, Jesus Christ in his glorified body, revealing himself to him, speaking to him. It probably won't look like this. But some kind of way, you will have to have a personal encounter with Christ in order for trans transformation to happen. Christ, look what Christ does here in this divine confrontation. Christ forces Saul to come face to face with his sin. Paul, or Saul, Saul, 
Why are you persecuting me? That's a sin that Christ points out to him. And what happens in this confrontation is the confrontation leads to conviction. Friends, one cannot know their need for Jesus Christ until they have come face to face with the, with the depth of their sinfulness. Major problem we have in the American church is that we have too high a view of man and too low a view of God. Ooh, rewind and press play. The problem in the American church is that we have too high a view of man and too low a view of God. But what do you mean we have too high a view of man? Because we sit up here and we think that man is inherently good. And that's totally uh, uh, antithetical to what the Bible teaches. The Bible says that by nature we rebel against God. Our nature is, God, I'm going to do it my way, not your way. Because all I want, all I care about is me, and I, and, and I could be the face of Burger King because I just want to have it my way. <laughs> by, by nature, we are enemies of God. By, by nature, the Bible says all have sinned. That's what we love. The reason we can't give up sin a lot of times is because we like it so much. That's what I, that, that's natural, friends. And as far as the good we do, the Bible says that our good deeds are nothing but filthy rags in the sight of God. They, they're, they're polluted garments. We, 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 we have too high a view of man because we think God owes man something. Some of us are under the, 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 we are under the impression that God owes man salvation. See, that's what I mean by we have too high a view of man and too low a view of God because we have not meditated and reflected upon the fact that God is holy. That word holy simply means set apart. There is no one like the God that we serve. There is none. Like He is sinless. He is perfect. And everything he does is good and right. And what God owes to himself is to be God. What God owes no, to man is nothing. So we see there's this divine confrontation. Christ says, why are you persecuting me? And then Christ tells him, I'm Jesus. So he reveals himself to this terrorist. And then he says, I want you to go down to the house of Judas. This is another Judas. The other Judas that betrayed Christ is dead now. He hung himself. He says, there's a, there's a man by the name of Judas, and he has a house on Straight Street in Damascus. That street is still there, by the way. And he says, go hang out there. And the text says that Saul was blinded by this divine confrontation because of the light. He, he's now blinded. 
What's interesting is the text says that there were some other men that were with Saul. Saul saw the light, but they didn't. You wrestle with that. I'm moving on to my next point. (laughs) So we see this divine confrontation. Christ confronts Saul, this terrorist, points out his sin, brings him to his knees, and says, go hang out somewhere. And so then what happens in verses 10 through 19, this next section, is Christ goes to a man by the name of Ananias. And he says, Ananias, get up and go to Straight Street. Try to say that real fast a few times. Go down to the street called Straight, and there's a man by the name of Saul from Tarsus. He's praying. You go to him, and you, he's waiting on you there because you need to lay hands on him because he's blind. And, and, he's, and, and, I, and Saul has seen this vision of what will happen. Now, Ananias says, whoa, Lord, Brandon Reddick translation. Who, 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 what's his name? Saul of Tarsus. Lord, I done heard the rumors. I know what Saul does and what Saul has done. I know this Saul of Tarsus that you want me to go and see. I know he has persecuted Christians. Matter of fact, I know that the only reason he's in Damascus right now is to terrorize Christians. He's going to bind them up and take them back to Jerusalem, and and only you know what's going to happen to those he takes back to Jerusalem. Now, now now you want me to go to him? Let me put a parenthesis in this sermon real quick. Ananias, the text says he's a disciple, right? So yes. Oh, let me put a parenthesis inside the parenthesis. I don't know if that's grammatically correct, but we're going to do it. The text, notice how the text addresses Christians before they are Christians. They are first addressed as disciples or saints. This is free. Before we were ever called Christians, our identity was we were disciples. Why is this, why am I even pointing this out? Because there's this false dichotomy. There's this thought out there that you can be a Christian and not be a disciple. And that's far from the Bible. Because according to the Bible, as soon as a person comes to faith, they are immediately a disciple. Discipleship is not like this second level of Christianity. Discipleship is not for the spiritual elite. The moment you place your trust in Jesus Christ, you become a disciple, a follower of Christ. So don't get caught up in this stuff saying, well, you're a Christian, but are you a disciple? You ought to be confused. As confused as somebody saying, the sky is green. Or, if you follow basketball, as confused as Kyrie Irving is, saying the earth is flat. 
There is no distinction between a Christian and a disciple. A disciple is a Christian. Matter of fact, a disciple was a disciple before he was ever called a Christian. All right, that's free. Close parentheses. The first parentheses. What Ananias shows us is that it can be difficult to discern and follow the will of God. What Christ commands, Christ wills. The will of God is for Ananias to go down the straight street, go to Saul, the same Saul that came to persecute him and minister to him. Friends, the will of God is oftentimes risky, uncomfortable, and dangerous. The question that we have to wrestle with is how far are we willing to go for God? What do we do when the will of God is completely the opposite of what we think is rational? Mm, It's getting real in here. The reality is that we all struggle with discerning and obeying God's will at different points in our lives. Are we willing to go behind enemy lines for God? So Christ says to Ananias in verse 15, go for he, Saul of Tarsus, This is verse 15 of Acts chapter 9. Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles, the non-Jews, kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he will suffer for the sake of my name. Church, this is what you call the scandal of the gospel. Look at this. Saul, a terrorist. Christ now says that this used to be terrorist is now my chosen instrument. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, here we go. Put your name where Saul's is. This used to be, you know, we all are X something. Or steal something. Even though they are what they are, I've chosen them. You should have been running around this whole building right by now. God chose you despite of your past. God chose you despite of, of your fornication. He chose you, don't say amen too loud. He chose you despite of your lying. He chose you despite of your cheating. Why? Not because there was anything in me, but because God's grace, God's favor was on my life. That scandal is that a holy God would choose a sinful person like Brandon. I ain't always been in a suit like this. Matter of fact, I think I kind of came out of my mom's womb with a suit, but, you know, all right. But there's some dark demons in the past of Brandon's life. I've told some of you some of the deepest stuff that I've gone through. But despite that, God showed his 
favor on me. And everything that my past was was nailed to the cross. Friends, this is the scandal of the gospel, that a holy God loves sin, sinners. And all I can think about when I was writing this part of the sermon was how deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch a treasure. And that's part of our problem. We don't see ourselves as wretches. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds would mar the chosen one. Why? To bring many sons to glory. God's love, friends, extends to the worst of sinners. Matter of fact, Paul is going, Saul is going to claim this later as Paul. He's going to write, he's going to say, I am the chief of sinners. He, 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 in other words, he says, I am the, the, uh, the chairman of the board, the CEO, and everything else of the sinners club. I'm the chief of sinners, but yet God loved me so much. Not because of anything good was in me. Not because of, how, of what, how good he knew I would be. Just because that was his own good pleasure to shed his love towards me. So Ananias goes. God has comforted him. Christ has comforted him. He says, that's all right. He's one of us now. So you can go. Minister to him. And so Ananias goes. He ministers to Saul. He, he lays his hand on him. And Saul receives his sight, and he is baptized. Let me say this, and then we'll run on to our last point. Never underestimate the impact your ministry can have on one individual. Billy Graham has done a ton of evangelistic crusades. And thanks be to God, he's seen, we've seen a lot of fruit come from the ministry of Billy Graham. But guess what? Billy Graham wasn't always saved. It just took one person to minister to Billy Graham. Then Billy Graham came to faith. And now many more people have come to faith because of the faithfulness of one. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., wasn't always a pastor. Somebody shared the gospel with Martin Luther King Jr. And now we've seen the fruit of his labors because one person was faithful. John Calvin, Martin Luther, somebody, one somebody was faithful. Now, let me ask you, do you know who led John Calvin? To Christ? Exactly. <laughs> Never underestimate the ministry that you can have to just one individual. Because I remember Dr. Howard Hendricks, the late Dr. Howard Hendricks, he was a professor of, 
of uh, at Dallas Theological Seminary, one of the most wise men I've ever heard, met, seen, listened to. By the way, if, there, if you can get your hands on anything by Howard Hendricks, do it. Your life will be enriched. But Dr. Howard Hendricks says he was at a fork in the road. He says, I could pastor a church of hundreds. Or I could become a seminary professor. And now I could train pastors. And he says, I chose to become a seminary professor. Doesn't even, it doesn't pay nearly as well. Neither one of them paid that way. <laughs> <coughs> he became a seminary professor, which would probably pay less for Howard Hendricks. And he says, I chose to train pastors because indirectly, I'm going to bear more fruit as a pastor of pastors than I would to just a hundred people on Sunday morning. Because every pastor that came, that, that Howard Hendricks touched, they now pastor churches of hundreds, thousands, mega churches now. And, 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 and a lot of those people don't realize that, that indirectly, Howard Hendricks is having an influence over them. Here's my point. You may just be able to reach one person, but you never know how many that one person you reach is going to reach. And that's what Ananias was. Ananias, after this, he goes off the pages of history. We don't know anything else about him, but what we do know is that he played a pivotal role in the conversion of Saul. All I'm saying is, church, even if it's just one person that you can change, God can use that. To change a generation. Let's get out of here. We see the divine confirmation. We see a disciple's visitation. Then finally, in verses 23-31, we see a divine transformation. We, we see a complete transformation of Saul. Paul, Saul used to be, look at the transformation with me. He used to be a child of the devil, but now he's a child of God. That was a good spot to say something. He, 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 Saul would say, if Saul was here, his testimony would be, I once was lost, but now I'm found. He, he would say, matter of fact, I was blind, but now I see. If Paul was here, Saul was here, he would say, I, I've been brought out of darkness. And to the marvelous light. If Saul was here to testify, he would say, oh, what a change has come over my life. He, he changed me. He would say, if, if Saul was here to testify, he would say, I used to be a persecutor, but now I'm a preacher. He would say, I used to be a terrorist, but now I'm an evangelist. God has literally wrecked this man's life. He's given him now a new vocation. He's going to be an evangelist, a missionary. He's given him a new mission in life. His, his first mission was to terrorize Christians, but now his, 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 his new ministry, his new mission is to, to plant churches, to share the gospel, to be a missionary. Now, God has completely wrecked this man's life. He's turned this man's life completely around. He used to be a blasphemer. That means to speak against. 
both Christ and his church. But now he's an ardent defender for Jesus Christ in the church. He, he has experienced a divine, a radical, a total transformation. And friends, the reason I keep harping on this is because this ought to be good news for every person in here today. For the sinner, Christ can still turn your life around. For the saint, this should lead us to be in awe of God. This should express itself in devotion, praise, worship, honor, and glory. Friends, what we see here is amazing grace. As I close, a couple of thoughts. What the story of Saul teaches us is that there is no one beyond the reach of God's grace. Let's see. If God so chooses, Abu Bukhar Shekau, can be saved. As many lives that have been lost, murdered, if God so chooses, Abu Bukhar can be saved. If God so chooses, Abu Bukhar al-Baghdadi can be saved. And if a terrorist can be saved, and anybody in this room today can be saved if you're not already are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. Jesus has already died for that. As I said last week, the good news of the gospel is that we cannot out God's grace. We're, we're, we're sin abounded. Grace abounded all the more. I don't care what sin it is, there's grace for it. If God can save Saul, he can save anybody. This text also teaches us, in spite of our past, we can still be used by God. Saul literally terrorized the church, persecuted Christians. When it came time, later on he's going to tell us, when it came time to vote for the death penalty, he said, he would say, I was the first one to raise my hand and say, put him to death. And God saves this man, but not only does he save him, he puts him to work immediately. Because the text says that as soon as he received his sight back, he immediately went into the synagogues and started teaching them that Christ is the Son of God. Friends, I don't care what you've done in your past. The good news is that God says, I can still use you. Because your past is now your testimony. It is now a witness to the work and the change and transformation that I can produce. So don't be necessary. Don't be ashamed about it. Share it, because that's now your testimony. I don't care what you've done. God says, I can still use you. If you are here today and you are not yet trusting in Jesus Christ for salvation, today will be a great day to trust in him. Don't wait. Don't hesitate. Don't delay. Tomorrow is not promised. 
you must realize that you, when it comes to the status of your soul, the condition of your soul, you are like Saul before he was saved. You are an enemy of God. I don't care how good you've been, how much good you've done, how sweet you are. You are an enemy of God by nature. You are a sinner. And as a result of your sinfulness, you deserve eternal separation from God in hell. That's the bad news. I am so glad that the story doesn't end there. Here's what the story says next, that by the grace of God, You can be saved by faith. It's simply trusting in Jesus Christ and him alone. It's not based on what you do, but what Christ has done. It's not about trying. It's about trusting. Saul, why are you not believing If you're here today, worship team, you can come back. Maybe you've got a dirty past. You've done some horrific, horrible things in your past. Jesus paid for that too. And you can still be used by God. So many people in the church don't want to share the gospel, don't want to share life stories because of how horrific It is. That's a testimony to the goodness of God. So if you're here today and you have decided to put trust, to place faith in Jesus Christ, would you let us know that on the back of your bridge card? We want to follow up with you.